welcome to Tuned to Yesterday, broadcasting programs from radio's golden era. I'm your host, Mark Levonier, bringing you sitcoms in this hour. Later on, Eve Arden stars as our Miss Brooks, but right now it's the Aldrich family, with the episode called The Tuxedo, heard on NBC in 1949. The Aldrich family, based on characters originated by Clifford Goldsmith, and starring Ezra Stone as Henry, with Jackie Kelk as Homer. Henry! Coming, Mother. And now for the Aldrich family. Whatever and whenever the golden age was, it is less important to most people than the teenage, a time of life made notable by typical American boys like Henry Aldrich and all their mishaps. The scene opens in Mr. Aldrich's bedroom. It is just before breakfast. But, Father, do you, do you think that's fair? Fair? I don't mean to be rude, but do you? Henry, every time you've asked to wear my tuxedo in the past, I've let you, haven't I? Sure, Father, and that's just the point. What is? Isn't there such a thing as squatter's rights? Father, there isn't a tuxedo my size left in town. Sam! Henry! Then I'm sorry, Henry. But Kathleen's bought a new formal and everything. Aren't you coming down to breakfast? Yes, Alice. Come along, Henry. Father, I, I know you have the kind of mind that once it's made up, dynamite couldn't change it, but could we do this? Do what? Fix it so that you can wear your tuxedo to that concert tonight with a clear conscience. My conscience is clear. Sure, but if I had my own tuxedo, you wouldn't have me hanging over you. Are you proposing that I buy you one? You mean you'd consider it? Certainly not. Tell me, what's wrong with your blue serge suit? My blue serge? Father, I give you my word, there's only one guy in the whole class who dare show up in civilian clothes, and that's Willie Marshall. And, Father, he has no pride whatsoever. Then there's nothing more that I can suggest, Henry. And let's consider the subject closed. My goodness, your eggs are getting cold. Please sit down, both of you. Mother, I couldn't eat a bite. Dear, you can at least drink your juice. Well, I'm all choked up. Henry? <coughs> I'm drinking it, Father. Sam? Yes, Alice? Do you know what I was thinking about your tuxedo? Alice, Henry and I have agreed to close the subject. We have? And please answer the phone, Henry. Yes, Father. Drink your juice, Sam. Alice, I'm afraid I'm not very hungry either. Hello? Hi, Henry, this is Willie. Who? Willie Marshall. And listen, Henry, how are you fixed for formal shoes? What? Formal shoes, formal shoes. The closest thing I've got is a pair of black and white saddle shoes. But Willie... I always have trouble dancing in rubber soles. Have you got an extra pair of patent leathers? No, I haven't. Boy, except for those shoes, I'm practically fed. I've got a stiff shirt, suspenders, and a real genuine cross carnation. Willie, you mean... All I need now are shoes, black socks, cufflinks, studs, a muffler, and a girl. <laughs> Willie, you're actually wearing a tuxedo tonight? Sure, it's the most important dance of the year. Do you think I want to stick out like a sore thumb? But, well, gee whiz, where'd you get it? From a waiter I know who's off duty tonight. <laughs> oh, boy. You mean I'm going to be the only one there in just a blue serge suit? You are? Henry, don't you have any pride whatsoever? Listen, Willie, goodbye. I've got to go back to work. I'm what? Never mind. Goodbye. Father? Father, could I have your permission to reopen the subject, providing I use a completely new angle? Agnes, calm down. You're on the phone. Calm down, Homer. How can I calm down when I'm miserable? You mean your parents won't buy you a new formal? No, they said the minute I stop growing in all directions, they'll get me one. When will that be? Well, it won't be before the dance. I know that. Gee whiz, I've got my tuxedo all pressed and everything. You have? Sure, it's been under my mattress for a week. <laughs> Look, Agnes, what's wrong with your old formal? Homer, it's prehistoric. What? Sure, it's got a neckline that practically comes up to my chin. And I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. But, Agnes, what are we going to do? I'll just have to keep working on my folks till I wear them down. I know, but... The only thing is, Homer... If I do talk them into buying a new dress, I can't get them to give me money for their tickets, too. What? But, Agnes, that's our arrangement. 
If I take you out and you foot the bill. bargain with my father. What bargain? I don't mention money, and he doesn't mention my report card. Look, <laughs> Homer, if I hang up now, I think I can corner my father in the living room. Goodbye. Goodbye. Homer, would you be willing to sign this protest? Henry, can't you let me worry in peace? But listen, it says, whereas and here too, all in sundry know the country club gets pretty darn stuffy to heck with tuxedos, and let's make this a simple dance where nobody dresses. You don't want it formal? Boy, have you ever tried putting on a tuxedo? You finally get the stiff shirt on, see? And then you have to lie on your back to put on your shoes. But Henry... And by the time you're through, you're no good for anything. Sign here. Well, before I do, I'd like to make just one minor change. What? Instead of all that junk about tuxedos, just say, whereas and here too, we think it's a disgrace to charge money for tickets. What? Gee whiz, the dance is for members of our own class, isn't it? It's like charging to get into your own house. But, Homer, I've got tickets. And I've got a tuxedo. Oh. Look, Henry, how'd you like to do me a big favor? What favor? All you have to do is point out to my father that if your father gave you money for tickets, the least my father can do is get in the spirit. Well... Will you do that, Henry? Sure, Homer, old-timer. You will? And while I'm doing that to your father, would you point out just one thing to my father? <laughs> What is that you're wearing, Kathleen? My new evening gown for the dance tonight. You like it? Where's the rest of it? That's all there is. What? Isn't it heavenly? Heavenly is hardly the word. So, Father, would you be willing to point out to Mother that her pearls are just what I need to round me out? Kathleen, you don't need rounding out. You need covering up. <laughs> I want you to wear that lace shawl your grandmother gave you for Christmas. A lace shawl? Around your shoulders. But, Father, it'll ruin the whole effect. That's just what I had in mind. Father. Kathleen, I will not have you catching pneumonia in public. But I've been taking vitamins. Don't you think that's enough protection? I do not. But, Father, if I go to the dance all covered up with a shawl, I'll stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> Mr. Brown, is that you under the hood of your car? What's that? Oh, it's you, Henry. Yes, sir. Uh, hand me that small wrench, will you? Sure, here. Thanks. Well, what can I do for you, Henry? For me? Why, yeah, I just happened to be casually passing by, and uh, I said to myself, why not talk the whole thing over with good old Mr. Brown? Talk what over? Homer. Oh. You're standing on my pliers. Oh. Jeez, poor kid. I keep thinking of him in that dance tonight. Everybody who's everybody is there, see. And where's poor old Homer? Where? That's just it. The biggest affair of the whole term. And he hasn't enough money to pay for his ticket. Oh. The poor kid. Doesn't it touch you? It does not. It's his own fault. He spent every last cent he had in the world on a pair of waterproof rawhide boots. Well, gee whiz, Mr. Brown, even if he did go overboard for a practical thing like waterproof boots, do you think you ought to make him suffer for it? I mean, boy, we all make mistakes. You don't say. Sure. Even I make them. Gee whiz, you know what I did once? What? I put a dime in a peanut machine, see, and you know what came out? What? Three cent stand. <laughs> so you see, those things happen to the best of us. Henry, it isn't easy for a father to teach his son that money doesn't grow on trees. But it has to be done. Now, if he's going to that dance, he'll have to dig up the ticket money himself. But, Mr. Brown... I have to think of his character. But gee whiz, Mr. Brown, think of me. You? Sure. When the band strikes up the first waltz, and I look out the window, and there's Homer. Poor kid. All dressed up in his tuxedo and no tickets. Staring in at us with his nose pressed up against the window. Boy, I won't be able to dance a step. You don't say. He was now that I think of him, poor kid. I've got half a mind to give Homer my ticket. And not go yourself? Yes, sir. I've got half a mind. <laughs> Henry, 
Did Homer ask you to speak to me? Homer? Gee whiz. Mr. Brown, I give you my word. Look, here are my two tickets. You give them to Homer. You really mean that, Henry? Sure. You're positive? Positive. Well, thank you very much. Mr. Brown, you mean you're really going to take them? What's the name, mister? Aldrich. And could you have it pressed by 3 o'clock? 3? Look, mister, I've got every tuxedo in Centerville in my shop. Yes, I know. Uh, well, as long as I have it in time for the concert tonight. Oh, and uh, here, I'll pay for it now. Send it to 117 Elm Street. Okay, mister, I'll try. But I've only got two hands, you know. Yes, I know. Thanks very much. Well, gee whiz. Hi, Mr. Aldrich. Hello, Homer. Boy, isn't that fantastic? I beg your pardon? Here I've been looking all over Centerville for you, and gee whiz, here you are. You've been looking for me? Yes, sir. I thought we might have a little chat. Chat? Yes, sir. You and I? Yes, sir. Homer, I'm afraid I'm in a hurry. I'm driving out to see a client. That's swell. I'll go with you. What? Then uh, we but... can chat as we drive. All said, Mr. Aldrich. Mush. What did you say? Mush. That's Eskimo for let's start. <laughs> I see. Homer, uh, Homer, what's on your mind? On my mind? I look like I have something on it. Frankly, it's hard to tell. Well, I just thought we'd have a chat. How, how are you, Mr. Aldrich? Fine. That's fine. Well, now that we've had our chat, shall I let you off at the next corner? Before I drop a hint about the sale. What sale? Why, why the one the Emporium is having on practically everything. You don't say. Yes, sir. Especially tuxedo. Tuxedo? Yes, sir. Boy, if if a person wanted to buy one, now's the time. I see. Well, thank you very much, Homer, but I really don't need one. Mr. Aldrich, I didn't mean you. I meant Henry. I know you did. Mr. Aldrich, why not look at it this way? Don't you want Henry to get married and get out of the house someday? I certainly do. Well, he'll need a tuxedo for the ceremony. When that time comes, I'll scrape up the money somewhere. Homer, do you realize I'm driving all the way to Middletown? You are? As far as that? Yes, and it'll probably be several hours before I come back, so maybe it'll be best if I dropped you at the next corner. Oh, no, Mr. Aldrich, I'll go along. But, Homer... From the looks of things, it may take me at least a couple of hours to have this little chat. <laughs> What do you have? Gee, Mr. DeHaven, I don't know if I'm in the mood for anything. Now, Mr. DeHaven, do you happen to have a set of cufflinks and studs for as little as a dollar? Cufflinks and studs? That's one thing I haven't been able to dig up. I'm afraid I don't carry them, Willie. Oh. Say, Henry, would you mind if I have a few dances with your girl tonight? My girl? That's another thing I haven't been able to dig up. <laughs> uh, Willie, I may not even be going to the dance tonight. You won't? when we're having a swell orchestra and everything? I know. I hear they're even working their way through college. That's how good they are. Well, I'd better try someplace else for those studs. Hi, Homer. <coughs> Listen, Homer, where have you been? Chatting with your father. Chatting with your father. And that's the last time I'll ever talk to a lawyer in my life. Even socially. Listen, Homer, speaking of father... Boy, is he tricky. I had him to the point where any minute I thought he was going to say, okay, I'll buy Henry a tuxedo. Yeah? And the next thing I knew, there I was lending you mine. What? You never know how he did it. Homer, your father did the same thing. I'm giving you my ticket. Why? Gee whiz, we're right back where we started from. Only vice versa. Boy. Boy. Henry, why should we both be miserable? Why don't we flip for it? Flip? Sure. The winner gets the tux and the ticket. Double or nothing? Sure. It's a deal. I've got a coin in my pocket. I thought you were broke. I am. This is street guard token. Ready? Sure. Flip it. Heads. Tails. What does it say, Homer? What does it say? Not good after June 1st. <laughs> 1939. Homer, that's tails. I win, Homer. I win the tuxedo. Boy. I'm all set. I don't know how I'll ever break this to Agnes. Here's a double cherry, Henry. It'll cheer you up. Well, give it to Homer, Mr. DeHaven. He's the one who needs cheering up. I'll just run over to your house, Homer, and pick up your tux. Okay. Have a good time, Hen. 
Homer, you look in worse shape than Henry did. I know. Boy, just two sides to a coin, and I had to pick heads. I could have just as easily said... said... Wait a minute. What's wrong? Since when is not good after June 1st, 1939, tail? What? Listen, Henry, you double-crosser, come back with my tuxedo. troubles of Henry Aldridge. Since Henry had no tuxedo for tonight's big dance and Homer had no tickets, they slipped for both with a streetcar token. Henry won, but Homer feels that he'd been outsmarted, if not cheated. The scene opens in the Aldridge front hall. It is later the same afternoon. Come on, Henry, hand it over. Boy, Homer, are you a sore loser. Sore loser? Sore loser? Since when is not good after June 1st, 1939, tail? Since 1939. Listen, Henry, take my tuxedo off that hall banister and hand it over. Or I'll turn you over to the police. The police? The police? On what charge? Gambling with a minor. <laughs> I know what I mean, Trick? Oh, gee whiz. Yes, Mother. You were being rude to Homer, were you? Uh, rude? Gee whiz, no. Was I, Homer? No, Mrs. Aldrich. He was very politely pointing out to me that I'm pig-headed. Boys, I think you'd both better go in the kitchen and cool off with a glass of milk. Yes, Mrs. Aldrich. Yes, Mother. Come on, Homer, old pal. Sure, Hen, old timer. And, Henry, you might run around the corner to your Aunt Harriet. She's making chocolate chip cookies. Sure, Mother, I'd be glad to for good old Homer. Sam, where are you? Coming, Alice. Dear, I've got to have a talk with you. Of course, sir. Alice, why didn't you tell me my tuxedo had come back from the tailor's? I didn't know it had. Well, here it is, hanging on the banister. Oh, I guess Mary must have answered the door. Sam... Evidently, Homer feels he was tricked into lending Henry his tuxedo for tonight. Well, if I give you my word, Homer practically insisted on Henry wearing it. But, dear, the whole thing is seriously affecting their friendship. Very well, Alice. Very well. I'll just take Henry downtown this afternoon and buy him a tuxedo. Oh, no, dear. Why not? Henry will just feel you're backing down. It'll weaken his character. Well, what do you suggest? Sam, who's the man in the family? Let me at that phone. Number, please. Elm 997. Elm 997. Why are you calling the Browns? To talk to Will. Well, just remember the important thing is to get both boys to the dance without spoiling them. I'll take your tuxedo up to our room. Hello? Will, uh, this is Sam. Sam, what's this I hear about Henry not giving Homer his ticket? Uh, that's why I called, Will. Evidently, the boys have changed their minds. You mean Homer's going to pester me for the money again? Exactly. Sam, if I give in, he'll just get the idea. He can wrap me around his little finger. Well, I've got the perfect solution. You have, Sam? What is it? Well, I'll buy Homer his ticket, you see. Yes. And you buy Henry his tuxedo. Say. In that way, we both save face. Sam, that's wonderful. Why didn't I think of that? You buy Homer the ticket, and I buy Henry the... <laughs> Wait a minute. What's wrong? Sam, you can't pull a fast one like that on an old bird like me. The tickets cost $2, but a tux would cost 50 But, Will... I'm not that anxious to save face, Sam. Goodbye. Well, wait, naturally. I'll pay for the tuxedo. Will? Will. Sam, where are you going? I'm going to put on my rubbers, and then I'm going out and send a telegram. A telegram? Cookies. Well, take them into Homer. You're sending a telegram to whom, Sam? Homer, old timer. I've got. I've got. Well, I'll be darned. Listen, Homer, come in here. Get the cookies. Never mind the cookies. Where'd you hide it? Where'd you hide it? Hide what? Listen, Henry, who took my tuxedo off the banister here? Homer, you aren't fooling me. You waited until I left the house, and then you sneaked it outside, didn't you? Boy, are you an actor. I know darn well you've hidden it somewhere. Come on, where is it? Where is it yourself? Henry, stop shoving. Stop shoving yourself. Henry? Homer? <laughs> Yes, young man? Uh, do you have a tuxedo that was brought in here to be pressed under the name of Aldrich? Aldrich, I think so. Oh, boy, I knew it. I knew it. Knew what? Oh, nothing. I've come to pick it up. Right here on the right. 
Here you are. It's all paid for. It is? Boy, that's swell. Hey. What's wrong? Are you sure this is my tuxedo? It looks four sizes too large. Young man, would you mind standing back from this pressing machine? Oh, let me try on the jacket. There. There, look at the way it swims on me. Don't you want to be nice and casual? Sure, but I don't want to overdo it. <laughs> Suppose I'm dancing with Agnes and she turns me around fast. Where's the tuxedo? What? And even more important, where am I? Look, young man, there are 75 dress suits on those racks that belong to the symphony orchestra, and they all have to be pressed by 7.30. Now, will you please stand back? But could I prove you made a mistake? Prove it? Sure. You see this button? Looks fine. That's just it. My jacket didn't have one. You don't say. Sure, it was off. You don't say. Come here. What are you going to do? There. Hey. Now it's your jacket. Now, wait a minute. Look, if I take the suit in for you, will you go away and let me press the orchestra? Well, okay. Just slip the trousers on in the back room. Okay, but wouldn't it be easier to find my own tuxedo? That is your tuxedo. Oh, I just think I left a good job on a steamroller for this. Yes, sir? Excuse me, but do you have a tuxedo you're pressing under the name of Brown? Brown? See, I was sure Homer took his tuxedo and brought it down here to be pressed. Boy, just look at these cans. If I pull them up, they'll cover my stiff shirt. Homer, so I was right. Listen, Henry, this will teach you not to try to outfox me. Homer, I won this tuxedo fair and square. Now hand over that jacket. Boy. Henry, let go of that sleeve. Let go yourself. Boy. Let go. Boy. Let go. Oh, boy. Henry. Look out for that rat. Homer. Oh, no. Oh, the orchestra, the orchestra. Look what you've done to the orchestra. <laughs> How do I look, Mother? Very nice, dear. I do? I really do? Even sitting down? Boy, imagine finally getting a tuxedo of my own. Yes, imagine. The only thing is... Why do you suppose Uncle John wired that money for a birthday present today? Why? Uh, my birthday isn't until next month. He probably wanted to be sure he didn't forget. I know, but gee whiz, he never gave me anything like $50 before. Well, uh, well, uh, uh, you see, uh, Uncle John suddenly sold that copper mine stock of his. Gee whiz, who did he unload that on? Why, uh... uh his town hall, just drop us at the front entrance, Henry. Yes, Mother. Gee, you sure it won't inconvenience you to loan me the car, Father? No, we'll get a ride home with someone. Thanks a lot. Gee, uh, a tuxedo and a car. Boy, this is going to be the biggest night of my life. Good night. Have a good time, Henry. Good night, son. Sam, I'm very proud of you. What for? Dear, you know very well. Alice, it really wasn't anything. If they ever do find copper in that mine, I'll make a fortune out of that stock. Let's go in. The concert's due to start. You know, Sam, I still think you should have gotten yourself a tuxedo when you went down with Henry. Alice, for the last time, this tuxedo's all right. It's just comfortably snug. If you say so, dear, just be careful when you sit down. Now let's go to our seats. Oh, uh, that's strange. Well, what's wrong? I'm positive I put the tickets in my jacket this morning. Sam, you mean you don't have them? Let's not get excited, Alice. Maybe someone found them and turned them in at the ticket window. Oh, excuse me, mister. Yes, sir? Uh, did someone turn in two lost tickets, third row, center? No, they haven't. I'm sorry. Sam! Alice, I can buy other tickets. As a matter of fact, I do have two left in the last row. Uh, Sam, take them or we'll miss the first number. There's no rush, madam. We're starting a half hour late. A half hour late? Why? Well, the orchestra had some difficulty with their yeah. dress suits tonight. <laughs> They're still getting them sorted. Uh, here you are, sir. Four dollars, please. Dear, is that a new formal? I'll say I got a five minutes before the store closed. You don't say. Yeah, my father finally agreed my request was perfectly reasonable and told my mother to buy me the formal before he went out of his mind. But why aren't you two at the dance? We're making a real evening of it, the concert and then the dance. You don't say. Have some popcorn. Popcorn? That's the only way I can enjoy concerts. Homer, you mean your father finally gave in and bought you the tickets for the dance? No, the tailor did. 
What's that? Sure. All I had to do was promise to use the tailor shop on the other side of town from now on. <laughs> <laughs> and he threw in tickets for the concert, too. No. See, it's the strangest thing how I got those. I just happened to reach into the inside pocket of my jacket, and there they were. What? Third row center. Sam! Homer, isn't that tuxedo a little loose on you? You should have seen it before the tailor sewed me together. <laughs> and was there a button missing on your tuxedo jacket? Gee whiz, how did you know? Never mind. Will you step into the washroom with me for a minute? <laughs> Listen again next week, same time, same station, for another sparkling half hour with your favorite youngster, his family, and his pals. The Aldrich Family, starring Ezra Stone, is written by Clifford Goldsmith. The Aldrich Family, on Tuned to Yesterday, an NBC broadcast from January 27, 1949. At the point of that episode, they had been on the air for 10 years and were part of NBC's Thursday night lineup at 8 o'clock. Just over 11 million people were tuned in. And thank you for listening to this hour of sitcoms on Tuned to Yesterday. I'm your host, Mark Levonier. Time now for Our Miss Brooks in a CBS broadcast from January 24, 1954, called The Foreign Exchange Teachers. At Madison High School, and it often does, you can get the lowdown from Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English there. She always knows which way the wind is blowing. The biggest wind usually blows from the office of our beloved principal, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Whenever he directs his huffing and puffing at me, and he often does, all I can do is batten my hatches and yell, blow me down. <laughs> and he often does. <laughs> Last Thursday, for example, when we observed Visitor's Day at Madison, Mr. Conklin arbitrarily ordered me to spend the noon hour directing visitors through the school instead of merely wasting my time eating lunch. <laughs> Next morning, I answered the phone at 7 o'clock, and once again, the voice of the turtle was heard throughout the <laughs> Get over to school on the double. I have a little chore for you, Miss Brooks. But, Mr. Conklin, can't it wait until I've had breakfast? Don't be selfish. <laughs> Well, a few minutes later, Walter Denton picked me up and we headed for school. Hallelujah, what a glorious day. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Everything's going my way. <laughs> Those pedestrians seem to be going the other way, Walter. Slow down. Slow down? Well, you're not in a hurry to see Mr. Conklin. That's the understatement of the year. <laughs> Slower, Walter. There are more pedestrians coming up, or going down, as the case may be. Boy, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's pedestrians. So why don't they get a car and defend themselves? <laughs> now, look at that fool driving on the wrong side of the street. It must be another European. They're all over town, Miss Brooks. See, I don't get it. Well, evidently, you haven't been reading the papers. A large group sailed over as a unit to see America. Yesterday, our mayor gave them the keys to the city. The way they drive, he must have given them the keys to a saloon. <laughs> now I can understand why there were so many foreigners rubbernecking in our classrooms on Visitor's Day, Miss Brooks. There you know, must have been hundreds of them. At least. My classroom looked like Ellis Island with blackboards. <laughs> you know, he had a group that included several Irishmen, Miss Brooks, and although most of them were perfect gentlemen... There was one fellow who told Mr. Boynton he didn't know the first thing about teaching biology. Well, he became so insulting and right in front of the students that Mr. Boynton finally had to just kick him out. No, well, I'm not surprised. I had the same trouble with a temperamental French woman. Without provocation, she vehemently ridiculed my teaching method and then went on to call Mr. Conklin a big, fat pig. A big, fat pig? <laughs> <laughs> what did old Marblehead, Mr. Conklin, say when she called him a fat pig? Well, luckily he wasn't there. She merely referred to him in those terms. But I think it's rude and disrespectful of you to find the matter amusing, Walter. After all, Mr. Conklin is our principal. Well, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. What did you say when she called Mr. Conklin a fat pig? 
Nothing. I was laughing so hard, who could talk? Good morning, Mr. Conklin. At ease. <laughs> Down, Miss Brooks. Uh, it appears to me you're losing weight. Well, I'm on sort of a request diet, sir. A request diet? Yes, sir. Whenever I get a chance to eat, you request me to do something else. <laughs> Your calling me here so early this morning prevented my having breakfast. Now, 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 you ought to thank me for helping you to keep slim, my dear. If the day should ever arrive when Mr. Boynton sums up the courage to put his arm around you, you wouldn't want to be fat now, would you? Well, no. But I'd still want something less that he could get a grip on. <laughs> Well, of course, that isn't the point. I've been working very hard, Mr. Conklin. Haven't we all? Visitor's Day just about knocked me out. Yet I never saw such weird characters, particularly a Swedish chap who had the audacity to tell me how to run my office. Well, I didn't wish to appear rude, so I gently escorted him to the door and gave him a healthy boot in the pants calculated to fell an ox. <laughs> you kicked him out? Literally. My uh, punting days at old Rutgers stood me in good stead, Miss Brooks. They didn't call me Tricky Toes Osgood for nothing. Well, far be it for me to belittle the talents of your toes, Mr. Conklin, but unless you summon me here for something more urgent than to play this little piggy went to market, I'd like to eat. Oh, you are impatient, aren't you? Well, I'll tell you why I summoned you, and then you may bite me if you wish. Last night, Mr. Henry Newton flew in from Washington. Mr. Newton happens to be a distinguished member of the National Board of Education, Miss Brooks. And uh, inasmuch as you are faculty advisor to our paper of the school, I want you to get out a special edition in his honor. He's that important? Yes, he is. To, uh, to borrow a rather humorous expression from my old army buddies, Mr. Newton is as top brass as a doorknob in the Pentagon. I see. And you'd like to polish the doorknob. Exactly. You will run over to journalism at once and write a brilliant editorial under the name of Osgood Conklin. In it, you will heap lavish praise on Mr. Newton for his sterling achievements and outstanding... Good morning. Well, Mr. Stowe, you know the illustrious head of our Board of Education, Miss Brooks. Oh, certainly. If you'll excuse me, Mr. Stone, I've got to run over to journalism and write a story on Henry Newton. And by all means, stick around. I might be able to contribute some interesting facts to that story. Oh, splendid. You may state, for example, that Mr. Newton is a champion of international unification of teaching methods. Teachers in other lands simply do not understand our methods, nor do we understand theirs. Perfectly true. What do we have in common that men of all nations can understand? Outside of Marilyn Monroe, I can't think of a thing. <laughs> uh, that's rather amusing, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Is it Osgood? Yes, sir. She said outside of Marilyn Monroe. You, yes, well... <laughs> So strongly does Mr. Newton advocate the exchanging of ideas among our teachers and those of other countries that he flew in from Washington for the sole purpose of addressing a delegation of school officials and teachers who are now visiting America, intent on studying our teaching methods firsthand. These dignitaries from abroad included the Honorable Frank McTeague and Madame Michelle Le Boucher. Well, Mr. Stone, if Mr. McTeague and Madame Le Boucher should care to visit our school, we'll certainly make them feel at home. When they were here yesterday, you and Mr. Boynton kicked them out. <laughs> Caramba. <laughs> How dare you insult our good neighbors, Miss Brooks? Oh, shut up, Osgood. The chap you insulted was Eric Stromstad, president of public school for all Scandinavia. Mamma mia! <laughs> As I say, they don't call him Tricky Toes Osgood for nothing. The injured parties have prevailed upon me to write a letter of introduction to Mr. Newton. 
They intend to meet him at lunch and officially protest the treatment they received at your hands. Well, sir, if you could perhaps tell Mr. Newton... I can tell him nothing. As a member of the National Board, his powers far exceed mine. You have stepped on the toes of his pet project, and in so doing, you may well have committed occupational suicide. Yeah. <laughs> you mean he, he might have our job? Under similarly grave circumstances, he has forced the dismissals of many teachers. Oh, teachers? Oh, well, I'll be sorry to see you and Mr. Boynton go, Miss Brooks. Please, Mr. Conklin. As for Mr. Boynton, his actions were entirely justified. Mr. McTeague insulted him in the presence of his students. Uh, nevertheless. And I... as for Madame Le Boucher, well, I had to get rid of her. She was disrupting my classroom. Uh, that and, is no and she excuse. called you a big fat pig. The guillotine would be too good for her. <laughs> My chivalrous nature compels me to spring to the defense of American womanhood. If Mr. Newton should discharge this poor woman, this, this poor teacher you see cringing before you... He's been known to fire not only teachers, Osgood, but principals as well. Principals, too? <laughs> Mrs. Stone, if I should lose my job... Never mind her, she's just a woman. I'm a married man with child. <laughs> girl with nothing. <laughs> the fact remains that you were guilty of shocking misconduct. Miss Brooks, Osgood, when those foreign dignitaries inform Mr. Newton of the shabby treatment you extended them, you may rest assured that heads will roll. Where are you going, Miss Brooks? If heads are going to roll, I'll set up Mr. Boynton's in the next alley. With the threat of unemployment hanging over our heads like the sword of Damocles, Mr. Boynton and I trudged into the school cafeteria at noon and joined Walter Denton at his table. Since none of us was in a conversational mood, we sat there in funereal silence, grimly scooping up our food. Greetings. Aloha. Pull up a tombstone and sit down. Thanks. I wish I were dead. All in favor, say aye. I. Funny. Never thought it could happen to me. My dad lost his job once, and he was my age at the time. Funny. I remember dad telling me about it. Son, he said, I lost my job. Like father, like son. Funny. <laughs> me, Osgood Conklin, ten years a high school principal, and now a bum. Like father, like son. Eh? Funny. To think that at this very moment, those three dignitaries are having lunch with Mr. Newton and sealing our professional doom. Pretty soon it'll all be over. Funny. It's all over now. Stone got back to me about an hour ago with the information that Mr. Newton had just received a telegram from Madame Le Boucher, the Honorable Frank McTeague, and Eric Stromstad. In it, they vilified us but good, vividly recounting the harrowing events of yesterday. Then Mr. Newton knows the whole story. He does, and may heaven have mercy on us. Newton, that having lunch with him could serve no valid purpose, but the brutal fact contained in the telegram could speak for themselves. What can we do? Where can we go? Honey. Gosh. Gad. <laughs> they say Siberia is lovely at this time of the year. Perhaps if we could meet those people again and try to reason with them. Uh, too late. Shortly after Mr. Stone had hung up, Madame Le Boucher called me. She said, and I quote, 
I and the Messieurs McTeague and Stromstad have decided to return to our homelands where people are cultured and we are leaving at once and bon voyage, you big fat pig. <laughs> yes, it's all over. Now we have but to wait for the official axe to fall. Well, this is it. Funny. I wish I were a gorilla. Eh? Sounds kind of silly, I guess. Not to me, it doesn't. I wish every girl were a gorilla. Then we, the weaker sex, would have a fighting chance in this world, in which the survival of the fittest is the rule. As gorillas, we'd have power. There we'd be, foraging for ourselves, growing our own fur coats, needing nothing but a banana, a coconut, and a place to hang our tails. say the booby hatch is lovely this time of year. Well, they'll give me a room. I'm ready. Hey, wait a minute. Well, I've got a scheme that might save your necks. Supposing one of those three dignitaries was to visit Mr. Newton at his hotel and act just as brazen and repulsive as he or she did yesterday. Then the guy might understand why you were forced to boot him out. Are you bucking for a padded cell, too, Denton? <laughs> In the first place, Madame Le Boucher told me all three of them were leaving town at once. You know that, Mr. Conklin, but Mr. Newton doesn't. And besides, it's a sin she's never met them, or else they wouldn't have asked Mr. Stone to write a letter of introduction. Yeah, I'm merely suggesting a little masquerade, sir. Heck, with all the costumes we got in Dramatics Club, one of you could look Irish or French or anything. Oh, that's preposterous, Walter. Not preposterous, just drastic. And if you don't think a situation like oh, this... Oh, shut up. <laughs> and if you don't think a situation like this calls for drastic action... Close you your fuzz-crested upper lip, boy. <laughs> Masquerade, indeed. Perfectly clear that our only hope lies in Mr. Newton's allowing a, a cooling-off period before taking any action. Time is the great healer. Excuse me, folks. Daddy. Uh, what is it, Harry? Well, I've been taking messages in your office, and Mr. Stone just telephoned. He said he'd been contacted by Mr. Newton, who's called an emergency meeting at the board for tomorrow morning. An emergency meeting? Yes, Miss Brooks. He said at that meeting, Mr. Newton will recommend the summary dismissal of you and Mr. Boynton and Daddy. Tomorrow morning. Funny. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Funny. Never thought it could happen to me. Me, a poor teacher, deprived of a livelihood by another woman. A wealthy woman at that. How I envied her the fur coat she was wearing. She didn't grow it herself. Must have paid thousands of dollars for it. At a time like this, that's a strange thing to envy her for, Miss Brooks. Anyway, you have a fur coat of your own. Not anymore. Last night it woke up and walked back to the kennel. <laughs> members I have named will constitute a quorum at our board meeting in the morning, Mr. Newton. I am not pleased. Conklin, Boynton, and Miss Brooks have struck a vicious blow at my efforts in behalf of international goodwill and unity among educators, Mr. Stone. I want the maximum membership at that meeting. Call everyone. Very well, Mr. Newton. Excuse me, I'll use the phone in your bedroom. Bonjour, monsieur. Permit me to make the introduce. I am Madame Le Boucher. Ah, well, what a delightful surprise to meet you, Madame Le Boucher. Uh, you must come in and uh, tell me all about your horrible experience with Miss Brooks, my dear. I am Mr. Newton. You are Mr. Newton? But I expect to meet a pleasant-looking man. You are a big, fat pig. <laughs> What's that? Fat, bald, old, and dirty. I beg your pardon? I heard you were a bachelor, monsieur, and now I can understand why. Such red blue, such a stupid face, who could marry? <laughs> this must be some sort of a joke, madam. I have been married to a lovely woman for ten years, and never have I... Of course, she probably wouldn't let you kiss her. <laughs> when did you first realize this woman married you for your money? What's... 
Now, see here. If these brazen remarks are a sample of what you gave Miss Brooks... Oh, please, do not mention that blockhead of a woman. You must discharge Miss Brooks at once because I am insult. Yesterday, I am in her classroom, and when I kick her... Uh, uh, just, just, just a moment. <laughs> Why did you kick her? Do I got to have a reason? I would like to know, why did you kick Miss Brooks? Because she is a big, fat pig. <laughs> that may be true. But uh, surely she must have uh, said something of an insinuating or insulting nature to provoke your action. Oh, she did. She told me to stop throwing her students out the window. <laughs> you were throwing children out the window? Only the small ones. The big ones I couldn't lift. Eric Stromstad, he had the same embarrassing experience with Mr. Conklin. After he kicked Mr. Conklin... Uh, uh, just, just a moment. Why did he kick Mr. Conklin? Because he is a big, fat pig. <laughs> and I mean it. <laughs> Eric and I, we do not like big, fat pigs. Now you take my friend Frank McTeague. He kicked Mr. Boynton. Why? Because he is a skinny pig. <laughs> McTeague does not like skinny pigs. So you see, Monsieur Newton, if you could get it through your thick skull to understand... Uh, I'm beginning to understand a lot of things, madam. Come in. <laughs> yes? Jumpin' Yemeni. Eben Eric Stromstad. Oh, no. <laughs> I am Henry Newton, uh, Mr. Stromstad, a moment ago, I was shocked to learn that you kicked Mr. Conklin yesterday. Conklin? That knuckle-headed, brainless oaf? Yeah, I kicked him good. <laughs> yeah, they do not call him Tricky Toes Eric for nothing. <laughs> Bonjour, Eric. Hey, I don't believe... Oh, oh. Ben, Madame Le Boucher. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, listen, Newton. Hey, you speak in here to make sure you fire Conklin. You not fire him a beat his head in. We fight. Uh, now, look, I don't approve of fisticuffs, Mr. Stromstad. Then we wrestle. Japanese style. <laughs> you yitsu. Like a yerk. <laughs> Shut up. It is now perfectly clear to me that you folks were the belligerents in yesterday's happenings at Madison High. You misrepresented your case to me. You know what you stated in your telegram. No, we do not, monsieur. You see, when we wrote this telegram, we are loaded. <laughs> loaded? Yeah, yeah. We were drinking, you old goat. joke I heard on Kukla, Fran, and Pierre. Oh, good heavens, you people are insane. Vigara, I'm Frank McTeague. Well, uh, uh, I'm Mr. Newton. The back of me hand to the front of your face. Partez-vous, <laughs> McTeague. You remember me, Madame Le Boucher? And, of course, this gentleman here with the alpine jacket and the bare knees is Bain Eric Stromstad. <laughs> Eric Stromstad. <laughs> you? Well, that's the silliest costume I ever saw. <laughs> Shut up, you yak ass. <laughs> and in view of your outrageous demonstration, I have decided not to press charges against Miss Brooks, Mr. Conklin, and Mr. Poynton. You mean that, monsieur? Oh, this is a terrible blow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go now. There's nothing more for us to eat. Five minutes ago. Huh? What in the world's going on here? I uh, made those calls, Mr. Newton, and I... Mr. Stone! Begora. Sacre bleu. Jump in Yemeni. Holy cow! Saints above. 
Sacre bleu again. Excuse me, I've got to get back to France. I left a roast in the oven. Uh, <laughs> hold on there, Miss Brooks. Miss Brooks? And Osgood Conklin, Boynton, Denton. What's the meaning of this masquerade? A masquerade? So. Come on, gang. Like I say, Siberia is lovely this time of year. As Mr. Newton was about to fire us on the spot, a miracle happened. He received an acidly phrased telegram from Madame Le Boucher, which so infuriated the distinguished gent that he gave us his blessings and sent us on our way. But when Mr. Boynton drove me home, I was still so nervous that I had some difficulty in finding the doorbell. What's the matter, Miss Brooks? You need glasses? Glasses? Oh, no. It's just nerves, Mr. Boynton. Oh, here's the bell. Mrs. Davis isn't home, but her sister Angela will let us in. Oh, hello, Connie. Mr. Boynton. Hi, Miss Devon. Oh, what a day we've had, Angela. I can imagine. I've been terribly worried ever since you called me at noon to explain your predicament. Everything worked out okay, thanks to a telegram Mr. Newton received from Madame Le Boucher. Yes, it was in the form of a poem. It said, I will tell General de Gaulle you're the fattest pig of all. <laughs> Why the impish giggle, Angela? Oh, Madame Le Boucher didn't send that telegram, Connie. I did. You? I, I hoped it might help you out of your predicament. Angela, you're a doll. That calls for a big kiss. You kissed me. So kill me. I need glasses. Our Miss Brooks on Tuned to Yesterday, a CBS episode from January 24th, 1954, bringing to a close this hour of sitcoms on Tuned to Yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great programs from radio's golden years. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark LeVonier. It's been a pleasure.